Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We will stand in a moment and read verses 37 through 41. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? Beginning at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Please be seated. We have to fragment this second chapter of Acts because there's so many s- spots or sections that um, you just, I don't think, should rush through. Now, I've entitled this message, Converting Lost Souls. But thinking about it as I was walking up, I probably should have entitled it, Conviction is Not Enough. If you look with me again at Acts chapter 2 in the verse 36 this time, where we left off last session... We read, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's Peter preaching for conviction, and he achieved that. He preached to convict them, which means to convince them, or includes convincing them, that this Jesus, this Joshua of Nazareth, was indeed their Messiah. And... Many in the audience, in the crowds, believe this. But it is as though uh, Peter hit the target and didn't know what to do next. Let's look at verse 37. I can maybe bring that out. Now, when they heard this, that's that convicting word he just preached, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So uh, uh, Peter again hits the target But it seems as though he would have kept or continued preaching had not the Holy Spirit politely and effectively intervened in what was happening and guided the crowd to call out, okay, we're convicted, what do we do? Well, maybe you get to share the gospel with someone and you convict them. But maybe you're not mindful enough, that's not enough. We've got to get to the conversion They've got to repent and accept Christ as their Savior, or they will not benefit from mere conviction. So this is a great lesson. Now, Peter's going to learn this next chance he gets in chapter 3. He's going to go for the conversion and not just leave it at the conviction. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing this right now. Peter's not left to himself. The Holy Spirit gets involved. And so conviction, again, to drive it home, not enough to finish what we are doing. Conviction and confession of faith 
surrendered to Christ, a verbal, a deliberate confession of one's sins and reception of Jesus as Lord. And so the goal of that first sermon was to notify these Jewish religious people that their Messiah had come and died for them, just as the scripture had told them would happen, to convict them of their sin, for rejecting Messiah, their Savior. And this way, they would avoid judgment. So again, looking at verse 36, Peter, again, he lets them have it. He says, uh, where are we? Whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, right out in front of them. Nothing uh, vague or foggy about that. Jesus forgives. Many people preach. But they leave out so much more of the message that has to go with that. Churches today, so many of them. There is this premeditated effort to avoid convicting people of their sin. They want to tell people that Jesus forgives, that he's kind, that the heaven is glorious. But they leave out the conviction. And, and I think this is a great mistake. He does he does forgive. He is kind. But those who do not face their sin will not benefit from this kindness. It has to be repent. That is part of our message. And uh, as we look at the Bible, we have to say to ourselves, do we think that we have better methods than the apostles of Jesus Christ? Do we think that we can do it, uh, we're more clever in our approach to reaching lost souls than the apostles. Jesus said in John chapter 16, and when he, though, well, let me go back. And when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Well, how does he do that? Through the preaching that Peter was doing. And then the Holy Spirit, they're, 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 they were cut to their hearts, it tells us here in verse 37. True churches, they preach to strengthen believers, but that's not enough. It's not enough to make believers stronger in their faith. There also must be the conviction of unbelievers. So that when an unbeliever comes to the house of God, they get the message from God. The word from God, which in, is always, for the unbeliever, going to be Repent. If we can't get past that, we can't move forward. And so true churches preach these things. But you won't hear this at church growth seminars. You just won't get it. I get mail all the time about, you know, how to grow your church. It's nothing about conviction. This is something about paying them money to come tell you to do what evidently the Holy Spirit can't do where you are. I'd be very concerned if I were a pastor and... I needed somebody to tell me how to be obedient when I have the Bible, when I am assigned to do this very thing. Now, you may say that sounds obnoxious. I think it sounds very faithful. I think it sounds very much uh, the thing you want to hear from somebody who is called to preach. And so we see them strive to make church services pleasant for the impenitent, comfortable for sinners. By suppressing truth and sin. I, I know I say these things all the time, but they need to be repeated. We know that there are many churches that are committed to entertaining those who come in 
looking for God, long as they don't disturb me, I will come back. But if they make me uncomfortable, then I will find another church that will not make me come back. I hope that's not uh, something that anyone here online or in the church itself is thinking, or I hope you're not living that way. Uh, we cannot hold the truth. Sermons that are laced with big doses of humor and statistics and stories atop a story and pop psychology, that's not preaching the Bible. Uh, you know, I like a good laugh just as much as the next person. I like to be humorous also. But when I started noticing that more people were coming out remembering the humor and not the scripture, uh, I felt that was the Lord saying, you need to tone down that funny business. He says, Rick, I know you're really funny. Even I laugh at some of your stuff. <laughs> but you, you've, if you can't hurt them sometimes, it, you, you can't hit them And when I need to be hit. Not, not in a vicious way. Well, let's go to the scripture. Let's see it in action. Jonah, his unmitigated message of doom saved an entire city. He didn't go in with the pop psychology in the story. Let me tell you about the time I was, and, and it just all this, he, this is Jonah, Jonah chapter one. God, this is, this is his initial instruction to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And then after we get past the big fish story, we get to Jonah going then, being called to go back to, the, to Nineveh. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Now, this was a prophet that was irritated. He was irritated with God, and he was irritated with everybody who wasn't a Jew following God. And he didn't want to do this, but he was being now, well, God persuaded him, of course. <laughs> you, yeah, something fishy about this prophet. Anyway... <laughs> Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then we read this. So the people of Nineveh believed God. That was the Holy Spirit at work. They knew they were wicked. They just needed somebody to come along and point it out to them. Somebody outside the fence. And then we read in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Then God saw their works and that they turned from their evil way. This is repentance in action. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. That is the gospel. If you repent, the judgment that abides on every single human being that has ever been conceived, judgment abides on them because they are born sinners. And they need a savior. You say, what about the unborn? Those who never are or don't get to live. Well, they're still born sinners. It's just they still need a savior. And I believe they are in heaven. Uh, it continues here in verse 37. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Now they saw the apostles as a united group. They're speaking to Peter, the speaker, but they're addressing all of them. Men and brethren, what shall we do? We've heard the message. The crowd is now saying to Peter, we, we hear you preaching. Now what? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is him convicting them of sin. They did not deny their own scripture. 
They were being honest with themselves. They recognized that only Christ could fulfill the things that were written. And that is even more so today. Uh, he, if someone were to come up, in, uh, a Jewish rabbi, and say, uh, I am the Messiah, the first question you would have to ask him is, where were you born? And if he doesn't say Bethlehem, then he's out. And if he says Bethlehem, then you have to say, well, what tribe are you from? Well, he's not going to be able to answer that today. Those records are gone. Messiah cannot come today. He's already come. It's, it's, not the least, it's, 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 it's clear to so many of us. As I mentioned, uh, these men that cry out are going to be saved because they were honest with themselves, unlike the Jesus haters who are confronted and convicted and have no defense against what is being told them, and yet they continue to resist. And so Peter was interrupted by their cry for help. And as I mentioned, he will not make this mistake. When he gets to chapter 13, he will go from the conviction right into repent. This is what you do next. So there you are preaching to someone, and you're telling them about Christ, and you can see that they're, they're believing this. Then you have to say, are you ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you ready to confess that you are dirty before God? You are filthy dirty before God. And ask Him to forgive you, because you recognize that you are a sinner, and that you will begin to work towards Obeying Christ and ordering your life behind his lordship. That is repentance. There's nothing complicated about that. Without further, further hesitation, though, Peter hears their cry. He goes right into what he's supposed to do. He just didn't know when to stop the sermon. I've never had that problem. <laughs> Every pastor has had that problem. Uh, at verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to them, repent. John the baptizer, that was his message. One to uh, bring the people back in line with their own scriptures. It was to reform them. Our baptism, water baptism we're speaking about, is to, is, it signifies rebirth. It goes beyond what John was preaching. Jesus, when he entered his public ministry, the first words recorded out of his mouth were repent. That was the beginning of his public ministry. It is the message that we find the New Testament church, those first Christians were preaching. Because Christianity is incomplete without that, uh, without repentance of the sinner. And it is our invitation to lost souls to own their sin. You've got to own it. If you want to keep pretending and faking it, God does not save, make believers, only believers. And it's up to the individual. And baptism, it is meaningless without faith. Unto repentance. Otherwise, if you can just baptize anybody without repentance, you're just making somebody wet. They could have done that at home. I don't know of an auxiliary message. I don't know of a, a different, me a substitute message. Without repentance, there is no salvation. 
You know that. But do you preach that to unbelievers when you share to them? You know, you can say, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, he's the reason for every single day. He's the upholder of all things. And without him, it all goes away in a very nasty way, too. He is the reason for everything that is good and right. But to no benefit if there's not repentance. This is the the dark alternative to repentance is doom. And that's it. You don't have to make it. Let me tell you in the Greek. Doom. (laughs) Doomed, doomed. Jesus said it this way. I tell you, unless you repent, you will also perish. You think this is not a message on repentance, incidentally. This is a message about completing the preaching, taking it to where it belongs, arriving at the destination, finishing the work. If saved, if you are saved, then say you're saved. Don't hide it. Announce that you have surrendered to Christ. And the water baptism is your first opportunity to make a public statement. I now side with Jesus. I have changed teams. I am with him now. I am no longer with the other group whom I still love and care for and hope to preach to them also. Teen camp is coming up. And this year's theme is unashamed of Christ. The flagship verse for the teen study is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Repeat it with me. Let's recite it together. (laughs) Yeah, what are you talking about? See, that's the humor that God is saying. See, that's why I like Rick. He's, He's clever like that. And they're a little slow, but he's special. Anyway, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's the gospel. Paul was not ashamed of it. Took beatings for it. It is the good news of Christ. It is is the power of God to salvation. It it takes us somewhere, and that is to heaven. And this is for everyone who believes. I chuckled a little bit about you knowing this verse by heart. It's funny when someone will say, I was just reading in Leviticus 25, verse 3. Like, you know the verse. You know, that's cute. Anyhow, I fake it. I do, yeah, I know the verse. (laughs) Let every one of you be baptized. All believers are commanded to be baptized. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It is a commandment. I can a little hard on that, right? If you haven't been baptized, I don't take it back. Peter is obeying orders at this point that he received from Jesus Christ along with the other apostles. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here he is getting right to it. Now, we do not encourage the youth to become baptized for some reasons. We will do it. We won't be the bad guy. But what happens with the youth is, you know, one may be sincere or not. It takes time to sit, tell, to, to be in the faith under pressure. But then it could cause, you know, this peer pressure kind of thing 
well, if you're getting baptized, I'm getting baptized. And that's not the right, of course, motive for baptism. So we're sensitive to that. We're not draconian about it. You know, how dare you ask us, flog him. Uh, but we, we just want to say, listen, if, if you reach the age where you know Jesus is your Savior, you must be baptized. It doesn't save you. And there are different, you know, someone on their deathbed. You can baptize them, you know, with just a little water. It just, it just, we're not, um, it's, it's not the ritual that we're after. It's the statement. Baptism publicly serves everyone notice that you belong to Jesus. And it is no wonder that he commands it be done, if that is what it does. Acts chapter 8, I'll get to the part about, you know, it being that it will not save your soul. We'll come to that. Acts chapter 8, there's another one, Philip. Philip didn't know how to close it either. He's just running along and he catches up to the chariot. He's just preaching his heart out. And the Ethiopian is just convicted. And it's the Ethiopian that says, hey, here's water. How about you baptize me here? Well, Peter, uh, Philip could have said, if you really believe we're coming up on this, this water here, well, how about I baptize you? But he, he, so we, we're learning these things that even the first Christians, it developed uh, coming out of Judaism into Christianity. Because, again, our water baptism is not identical to the baptism that John the Baptist uh, baptized with. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Man, I just got to love that. I mean, it's just, you know, this whole moment with Peter and this Ethiopian. Uh, it, uh, you know, if you believe. He, Peter, uh, Philip says, listen, you don't just do this. There's something that must go with the water baptism, and that is faith. Belief that Jesus is the Christ, the one I've just been preaching to you in the chariot from the book of Isaiah. And, of course, they went down into the water, meaning it was deep, and uh, they baptized. Uh, he baptized him there. In the name of Jesus, says Peter, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Over Acts 4.12, there's no other name for salvation. He is preaching to a multitude. <clears throat> calling the Jewish converts who said that, you know, what's the next step? Because we do believe what you're saying. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah of the Old Testament. There was no Old New Testament yet when this was taking place. Just the Old Testament. Now, Second Chronicles 7.14. Some of you won't like this, but that passage of Scripture it's not for every nation under the sun. It's not for any nation under the sun. It's for one nation. And I'll read it. Because we like to take this and apply it to America. And it's not a good fit. And there are parts of it that are noble, but it's, it's not what was intended. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, this part about... If they were turned from their wicked ways, it can't apply to the church because the church has already done that. He's speaking about the nation of Israel and her apostasy and God's devotion 
to resolving this problem of doom by saying, just turn to me. Well, we're watching the Jews here in Jerusalem at this time turn to the Lord. They're seeking his face. They're going to pray to him. They're coming to him. But it's not the nation. And the land will not be healed. And that will come, though. It's a, it's a prophecy that remains to be completely fulfilled. Continuing on, uh, for the remission of sins. Now, we get baptized because our sins have been remitted, canceled out, not to remit them. We are baptized because they have been, not to remit the sin. And it's the big difference because if you believe you get baptized so that your sins can be removed and you believe the finished work of Christ is not enough, that dying on the cross was not enough, you've got to get wet. Uh, water does not wash away sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, and that alone washes away sin. And it is unfortunate that the translators, uh, in using this word for the remission of sins, have opted to go with that word in, in the English Bibles. Because it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches contrary to that. The Greek word for, for sins, uh, for in the phrase, for the remission of sins, can also be translated on the account of. Now, it's not a fault of the original Greek. It's not a fault of the Peter. Uh, it's just the translators have opted for a different word. Uh, one of my favorite pastor Bible teachers of long ago said, you know, theologians like sheep all go astray sometime. And they, they just, uh, that I think this is one of the instances. Some translations have, will go with... Um, unto remission of sins, to make it clear. Here's why I said the Bible doesn't teach that. If baptism were necessary for salvation, then nobody in the Old Testament is saved. And we know they're in heaven because the Bible tells us these things. You know, just Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus saying, what are you going to feel pretty bad when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom and you left out? So we, we understand that Old Testament saints were... A, saved apart from water baptism. So water baptism is not a condition of salvation. It is an admission that Jesus finished the work for my salvation. Messiah's death has canceled my debt. Sin is remitted. And they understood it that way. Peter said, uh, when they said, what do we do? Repent. And right after that repentance, because we've been commanded, your first act as a Christian is to be baptized. When, and I'm not the only one, but when I conduct a wedding, I offer the couple as their first act of marriage together, now that they're husband and wife, I offer that their first action be communion. That they start off that way. Now, it's not a rabbit's foot. It doesn't mean, okay, now that you've done that, your marriage is just going to be perfect after this. No laughing. <laughs> but it, it does mean, hopefully, well, what if you get a couple that says, ah, now, we'll pass on that. You got sandwiches? You see, that would be a great indicator that they're missing the value of the things that belong to our faith and Peter's not having any of that. 
First John 1 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all sin. Not water baptism, cannot cleanse. Had water baptism been necessary for salvation, then Paul would never have said these things. First Corinthians chapter 1, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. You see, I mean, he could make, couldn't make that statement if it was necessary. He could not say uh, it was the same thing about the cross of Christ. He does say, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And he goes on to say, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no value. That's pretty powerful. He doesn't say, lest the cross of Christ and the baptism be made of no value. You say, okay, we got it. I'm not so sure. To believe that one must be water baptized to be saved is to believe that ritual contributes to your salvation. And what I am saying, of course, is the conclusion is we are to be baptized and water baptism in water cannot save us. Because that's not the only baptism available to the believer. Jesus said that he would immerse us in the Holy Spirit. That's not water baptism. That's, just, that's the, the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured upon the individual. So let's take some more verses. Because we are in God's house, and what a delight to be able to speak God's word. Neither John the Baptist nor the apostles understood water baptism as necessary for salvation. John, in the Revelation Chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness to him who loved us and washed us from our, our sins in his own blood. The water baptism had anything to do with it. It was a great time for him to say, who washed us in the water at the baptism. Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus speaking, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. For remission of sins, end quote. Then Acts chapter 10, verse 42. This is Peter. He's preaching to Gentiles. And again, the Holy Spirit interferes. Well, not interferes, interrupts. But in a blessed way all the time. And Peter's not finished his sermon. And they start, you know, speaking in tongues, praising God. Acts 10, verse 42. And after this, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the apostles witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Okay, I'm done with that now. Until next time. I do want to leave it here, though. If you are a Christian and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that there's no other way into heaven except through him, and you've not been baptized, you need to get with one of the pastors so we can arrange that baptism. And if, no, if you had no witnesses of your baptism, God witnesses it, the angels witness it, Satan sees it, and don't be surprised if there aren't others that you don't know about that have witnessed you being baptized. He continues here in verse 38, and your sin... Uh, pardon me, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is salvation. This is what Paul had in mind. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit 
We are all immersed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. <clears throat> the giving of the spirit and obedience, Acts 5.32. We are his witnesses to these things. You know, see how that keeps coming up with these men? We are his witnesses. We have seen these things. Those who believe, believe because they have seen the gospel in their heart. They have seen the Christ of the gospel. Uh, you, 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 you can't unsee him. Uh, this does not mean there are not apostates, because there are. But it does mean um, that we who are saved are supposed to be those who tell people what we have seen to get us saved. And you do not need a theological degree to do that. <clears throat> you don't have to know one word of Greek to be an effective servant for Christ in leading people to Christ or praying that someone you know can lead somebody to Christ. I mean, what if you were just, you know, confined to your home and you don't get out? Well, you, 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 I don't get to preach anyone, to anyone you, would say, you could say. Well, you could pray for those who you know are out there on the battlefield. You can lift your arms up, as Aaron did for Joshua, there on the battlefield. Submitting to the truth of Scripture is obeying God, which is what they were doing. Jesus said this, If you then, being evil, <laughs> that's a seeker-friendly message from God, right? <clears throat> what he said, Know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And if you've never been filled with the love of Christ, if you've never been filled with this desire to share him, but you say, I believe I'm a Christian, I, I believe in the cross. If you've never been filled with love, if you're one of those, you know, booby trap Christians, you know, you just accidentally bump them and boom, they go off on you. Then I suggest after service, you get with the pastors, you come up and you say, could you pray that I receive the Holy Spirit? That I would love the Lord. That I would value witnessing his name. And that I would be filled with love. That I could at least resist my own, my personal obnoxious attitudes because I claim Christ. Or are you ashamed to say something like that? If you are ashamed, it's evidence you're not filled. Verse 39, would anybody object to that? Oh, I'm filled. Even though I'm obnoxious, I'll come there and punch you out, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, you're filled, all right. You're about to be carried out. Anyway, slow crowd, Lord, slow crowd. Verse 39, for the promises to you and your children and to those who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What has happened to this man, Peter? I mean, he's just laying everything out perfectly. He's saying, look, this is not only for you. This goes beyond you. Many of them were pretty self-important. Not those crying out. The offer and the message of salvation, accompanied by the immersion in the Spirit, reaches all future generations if they will have it. I don't, know if there's, I don't think there's ever been an unbroken witness of Christianity in, on earth. Somewhere there's been a remnant. Somewhere, at the very least... There have been those who are saved and filled. Jesus said this in his prayer, John 17, 
I do not pray for these alone, that's his apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He just made what they're going to say scripture before it even happened. That's why we consider everything uh, after the Gospels just as much scripture from God as the Gospels. Likewise with the Old Testament. And to all who are far off, Jew and Gentile alike. When Paul was witnessing, you know, he had the hard task of trying to bring the gospel to the Gentiles without letting certain Jews uh, Judaize the gospel and ruin it. He did a great job. And when he writes in the Ephesians, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. The fact that there is such a thing as Jew and Gentile, the fact that there's this distinction from one people, one race of people and everybody else should alert anyone that something spiritual is going on. How do you do that? How do you just take one race and sort of set it aside from everybody else and then preserve this for millennium? Well, you don't. God did. That alone should make everybody say, why is there this distinction? Why is it preserved? Why is it honored? Not honored honorably all the time, but honored in the sense that it is preserved. And why are the Jewish people targeted by so many Gentiles for something they didn't do wrong? I mean, and during the plague, many of them were blamed because they weren't getting the plague. Well, they were cleaning themselves. They were practicing their, their lifestyle. Was, their hygiene was a lot different than everybody else. There was, a, was just a, a, a re, that's one of the reasons for that. Nazi Germany, they hated that the Jews were so isolated from everybody else and doing well without them. You think somebody would say, well, when I was a Gentile, I'm not a Gentile anymore. I stopped being one some time back. I opted out when I came to Christ. Now I'm a Christian. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Christian. Uh, uh, But I didn't didn't make that connection. Not that I was anti-Semitic, because I was not. But I never thought that. Well, that could be part of your witnessing to start the conversation with someone. Anytime a Christian hears somebody badmouth a Jew, you got an opportunity to preach. And I, sh- I suggest you strongly look to preach it. Don't bow down to them. They get to, they get to say their nonsense. You get to say the truth. That's how it works. <laughs> Equal time. Uh, sometimes it works that way. Well, we can go on on that, but let's go to verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. When he says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. That's why sermons are long. There's always more to say about Jesus. And, uh, you know, what are you supposed to do? You're preparing and God is showing you things. Are you supposed to say, well, I've been, I need to bury that. I need to hide that under the rug. I need to skip over that. You can't do it. You just have to take that section and, and try to share. And hopefully it was the Lord. Saying, be saved. From what? Uh, for, when I was uh, I don't know, in my teens, I'd hear that, be saved. What, I mean, I was such, so into baseball. The, 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 the relief pitcher was the saver. Uh, he was the one that came in and saved the game. 
And I'm, I just, what do they mean, be saved? Uh, why didn't a Christian tell me what that meant? Uh, we, we say these things, this, this Bible language, and it, we expect the world to understand. We have to have a we're the walking glossary. You know, we walk around, let me tell you what that word means, how it is applied to you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They don't know what that means. What does that mean? They hear it so much, like they become numb to it. Only begotten, there's none like him. He comes from God. He's God the Son. And he gave him to be slaughtered as a lamb for us. And that's, you know, we get to preach these things. Saved or not, God has allowed humans to achieve quite a few exceptional, even extraordinary feats, except salvation. Man, you know, a man can put a man and he can take a man and put him in Ashland. <laughs> you thought I was going to say moon. <laughs> he can do extraordinary things. But he can't, he has nothing to do with salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And some hearts that we come in touch with are black holes. There's so much gravity in there. Light can't get out. It can't be reflected. The moon. The moon has no light of its own. It reflects the sunlight. That's, the Christ, that's a metaphor, an uh, allegory for the Christian salvation. You see any light in me? It's not self-originated. It comes from me reflecting Christ. Well, a black hole won't do that. And they are black holes in this sense because they are disinterested, preoccupied, or insincere about Jesus Christ. That's the parable of the sower. The shallow ones, uh, you know, on, on the, on the, the rocks, the ones that Satan plucked up, and the other ones who couldn't handle the pressure, they become the apostates. They enter Christianity expecting God to do things for them, and he doesn't do it as they thought. And they become disillusioned. And no longer do they want Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. The first question in the Bible from God is, where are you? First question from Satan precedes that. Has God really said that? Doubt came first. And then God shows up and says, what would you do with the doubt? Well, those black holes. It's an excellent question to ask somebody. Are you disinterested in Christ? Preoccupied and sincere? Which one of them? Where are you? Or are you ready to receive the gospel? Or do you want to wait until there's a real, you know, heavy grief in your life? Then you want to come and hear all the blessings from the Bible without repenting. He says, from this perverse generation, that's Jesus, uh, mankind, uh, the Jesus haters for us. In those days... It was those, as Peter said it, those who are rejecting their own scripture of Messiah. But it, it, it first shows up in Deuteronomy. And there, Moses applies it to everybody outside of the covenant or against God. Because Job was not under the covenant of the Jews. And Job was right with God. I mean, there's no greater boast in the scripture. I know about a human being's righteousness than God laid on Job. Uh, God is, I mean, I, I don't believe God can be impressed in the way that we're impressed. He can be pleased. Uh, one, one old saint said, God is easily pleased but never satisfied. 
And that, I believe, is true. Because when Jesus says, be you perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, I can't be perfect. But it's the pursuit of that perfection that counts a whole lot. Because take that pursuit away, and what are you left with? The pursuit of unrighteousness. Deuteronomy 32 they have corrupted themselves. They, have, they are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. The Proverbs 30, verse 12. This is stuff you can read to unbelievers if they let you. Um, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 12. A generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. I mean, you can bring that up as, as literature. And then segue right into the gospel. Is uh, Ezra, you know, Ezra, they come back from captivity in Babylon. Not a lot of them. Most of the Jews wanted to stay out of Jerusalem because it was, you know, raised, destroyed. And Ezra brings a remnant back. <clears throat> and we read this. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek Yahweh, God of Israel. Well, he, for the Christian, separation is not isolation. It's contact without contamination. That's the Christian life. I like A.W. Toja's analysis. He says we're like a ship having contact with the sea, but not being uh, un- filled with the sea. Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless. (laughs) Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Well, it goes back to that reflection of the light on the moon. goes back to that whole black hole thing. Humanity worsens morally as we approach the last days. And we're warned about this. 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. To depart from the faith is to be an apostate. 2 Timothy 3, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And then one more, 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and imposters, those are make-believers, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Internet is helping all that along. The Internet is Babel rebuilt. That doesn't mean you can't find sales and use it for good if they have your size. But it does mean it has become a superhighway for the trade of foul thoughts. And every unclean beast you can imagine is there. And that is uh, Babel. The tendency of the universe is always towards decay. It's not towards evolution. It's proven all the time. Just take a piece of fruit out and leave it out too long and it will decay. It will not get better. Boy, this is vintage. Well, now, some of you may say, well, what about wine? Well, who said wine is good? Okay, don't start whining. (laughs) You leave leave that too long and it becomes vinegar. Anyway, uh, that's nature and that's our nature too. Left to ourselves, mankind will decay. Peter exhorts them to fight 
the natural tendencies. Again, Romans 12, 9. How many of you Christians are familiar with this? Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. We're almost done. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. He's preaching and expounding scripture, and he got fruit from that. It doesn't always work that way. They were baptized as commanded. That day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's a reversal of what we read in at the giving of the law. When Moses comes down and he breaks the stones because the people are in debauchery. And about 3,000 of them were killed. Exodus 32, 28. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Uh, that is in judgment uh, from God. And so there's a lot there to ponder. Peter promised them the gift of the Holy Spirit. If they believed Jesus Christ was Messiah. And they believed. And of the 3,000 converts... There's no mention of a single one of them speaking in tongues. It's pretty interesting. There is a definite mention, however, that they continued steadfastly in the word, in fellowship, in communion, and prayer, which we'll get next session, which I fear uh, many Christians are not mindful of. So that's just a little phrase in Scripture, but it really doesn't... It's, it characterizes what the church should be, both local and universal. Truth is to dominate the believer. It is to dominate our faith. Not what we want to be true, but what we realize to be true by the Spirit of God. And you may not like it. You may not like that God has given the pastor authority in the assembly. You may not like that, but you can't get away from it. And this has caused so many unnecessary, it just hands Satan victory. Time and time again, with some, with some people. Uh, here, this is the Feast of First Fruits. The church makes her converts, but Jesus grows the church. And we'll cover this again. But we need to start it here. Jesus grows the church. Not people, not marketing agency, not tactics. How about we put a, you know, a little piece of candy in the chair of everybody. We announce it in the paper. It's candy. Just come and get it. It's free. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. John chapter 5, verse 5. Without me, you can do nothing. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor labor to build it in vain. Galatians chapter 3. Have you begun in the spirit uh, to become perfected in the flesh? Of course not. Now Stephen, will, he will have a deadly reaction, uh, a fatal reaction to his preaching. Acts chapter 7, when they heard these things that, G, that Stephen was preaching, they were cut to heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth and of course they, they murdered him. For preaching the truth. This uh, sermon by Peter, I believe, put it in the hearts of some of the Jews that they would have no more of this Christianity. And they wouldn't tolerate another Pentecost. And that's why, one of the reasons why I think they turned on Stephen. 
also because Stephen frustrated their arguments and in declaring Christ the Messiah, they could not outwit him. They could not beat him in debate. They could not take away what he was saying from the scripture. They either submitted to Christ like these 3,000 or they rejected Christ and they rejected Christ and he was stoned. And of course, the fruit of his death Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Jesus said that <coughs> about himself. Well, Stephen died, and he brought forth much fruit from a single tree, and that is the life of Paul. It, it, this is God at work. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that you are aware of those who have been listening or maybe will listen in sometime in the future. We are aware that there are those that still don't believe, but as they've heard the word of God preached, they fall under conviction. They sense their guilt before you. They sense that they are going to suffer your wrath if they don't do something. If you've been watching and listening and you have been convicted but you've never opened your heart to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, you have a chance to do it now. You have a chance to repent. That includes admit that you have broken the law of Christ, the laws of God. Admit that you cannot save yourself. You will never be good enough to save yourself. It requires one better than you to take away your sin. And that is Jesus Christ. If you make this confession and you mean it, God will receive you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I, I am a sinner. I break your law. I am not fit for heaven. I am fit for hell. But I ask you to forgive me and take the judgment away. Save me from the wrath to come. I give my life to you right here, right now. I turn away from my old life and I turn to the new life in Christ Jesus and no other. And would you be from this day forward, not only the one who rules over my life, but the one who saved me from judgment. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not be ashamed of their own confession. May they get with one of the pastors or call the church and speak to a pastor make their confession known. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.